Hello and welcome to It's Breakthrough Time. I'm your host, Tori Cruz, former Miss Missouri USA turned entrepreneur. I am the founder of Highlights and Heels and I am honored to be your coach and mentor today. I believe anyone can achieve their dreams in life with the right mentor who believes in them and helps them create the confidence in themselves to achieve their greatest potential. That's why I have created coaching programs that help you create the confidence and clarity that you desire for what is next in your life. Head on over to my Instagram at Miss Tori Cruz. Click the link in my bio and discover my coaching programs today. I hope you enjoy this episode of It's Breakthrough Time. All right, guys, welcome back to It's Breakthrough Time. I am super stoked about today's guest. We have Anthony Trucks on here. I just spoke with Anthony at a boot camp here in Scottsdale just about a month ago and just loved his authenticity and loved what he stood for and identity shift. So welcome, Anthony. Super excited hey, that you're here today. I'm excited to hang out with you too. It was, it was, that was a little bit ago. It feels like so far away. It's just so crazy how that works. Time flies. Well, you guys, Anthony is a former NFL player, but that's what you'd find when you, when you Google him. However, wait till you hear his story on identity shift. He just had a really cool um, goal cast original come out. And man, I was just watching that Anthony. And I was literally in tears. I was like, I got to get my, I got to get my crap together here before I jump on the, the interview. That was so powerful. So I really just want to start out there. Like you're, you know, your beginnings in foster care to really how you, you know, came, you know, to the NFL and identity shift and a speaker now. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, well, it was, it's interesting is I can't get to that video without crying myself. I've tried multiple times. It's very interesting when you actually see the way that someone tells your story, which is odd. Like I told the story, but they framed it. That was actually two hours chopped into like 15 minute segment. So um, I'm glad you watched it, but let's go, let's go. Let's bring the people down there so you guys understand what in the world we were talking about. Cause they're probably like, all right, talk about it now. I want to, so uh, as a kid, I was given away into foster care by my biological mom. She essentially didn't want me and my siblings. So all four of us got shipped off into this really heinous foster care system that was very abusive, torturous, just some odd things that um, you wish wouldn't happen to a person, but they ended up happening. And so after shoot three years bouncing around after house to house at six years old, I landed in my family, it's my family now. And I was very like, you know, walled off emotionally. It wasn't, you know, very, uh, I guess, engaging. On top of that, I was the only black kid and now all white, very poor family growing up. And so we had a lot of dynamics to just trying to navigate what we're doing. And I never felt like I had stability, never felt like I belonged. It all just kind of sucked. And then at the age of 14, after 11 years in the system, I finally got adopted by this family. And it was the first time that I felt like I mattered, felt like, uh, I had something that that could be um, could be useful to the world, and so for me, I I, I leaned into the, the world of trying to be an athlete, right? Uh, and so for me, I was like trying to find a way to to make myself the guy that that you know I felt internally I could be accomplishing great things. And after a couple of years of sucking at this game of football, I was like, that's not for me. <laughs> like, like I just I'm gonna suck at this, right? So I gave it up, and I was sitting in a classroom, and a couple of girls said this these 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 conversations back and forth, and one said something that unsettled me. We'll call it that made me question my, my motives for giving up in life. And it was just enough of a statement. And all she said was the reason I'm so bad because I'm in foster care. And it was enough of a statement that just unsettled me. Cause I was like, I don't want to be that guy that years from now, my excuse of being horrible. And I didn't know it till later, but like 75% of prison inmates in America are former foster kids. Like it's nuts, the statistics. So I was headed that way. And like, I, I just, I didn't want to be that guy. 
And so I made a decision and a commitment to be a better human. And it turned into, it turned into me figuring out life at a vastly different level of essentially like how can I become something better? And I just did it through the path of action towards being a great football player, which eventually turned into a football scholarship, uh, played football at University of Oregon, had a lot of ups and downs there, played football in the NFL, a lot of ups and downs there, left the game, had a lot of ups and downs there. And at this point in my life, the way I explain it is I have navigated multiple different shifts of who I am at my core, of my identity in times when I needed to, times when I didn't want to, um, and proactively at times to figure out how I wanted to get the next level of my life. And in doing so, figured out a weird kind of unique personalized process that I, I use called the shift method now with a lot of my clients, but it's just, it's extracted from life to help people. What I say is make shift happen, uh, whatever that is, right? It, no matter what it is, you want to make some butter today in your churn, but I'll teach you, I'll figure it out. We'll get it done, right? It's the process to like, how do we become the person that does that? You want to build a billion dollar business. I guarantee there's a process of the human being to become that. Strategy would be a lot more important for a billion dollar business, just so we're aware, but there's also a human being that needs to be capable of handling this. And so that's kind of where sort of thing kind of, kind of kind of filled out and flowed in for me. So at this point in my life, man, I have broke my life, but fixed my life. And now I help other people fix theirs as well. Oh man, there's so much. I would just want to like unpack all that. So let's start back at the beginning when you were in foster care. Um, you know, I always say my every single no is one step closer to your yes. Right. And so when you're saying yeah. like, you were kind of getting and watching that video too. It was just like, you were kind of getting tossed around for lack of better words into different foster yeah. care um, systems. And you didn't really have a solid role model growing up until you landed at 14, I believe you said um, with your family now. And so during those moments, you know, when you, um, when you were just kind of being, you know, tossed around to different family, a different family, like explain those feelings because there's a lot of people um, that have, you know, maybe been in foster care, just had like abandonment issues and, um, or feelings come up and yeah. just kind of, like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. You said, well, it's tough because the emotional side of it sucks. And it's hard to be when you're in the middle of the tornado with all of us, like picture you ever been like at a really tough time in your life. Of course you have, you're human. So it's a dumb question, but you know, like when you're in the middle of the tornado and like, it feels like it's like, it's not all that bad right now. Like it's, I'm at my house and it's safe and I'm taking a nap or what, whatever these things are. And, and what I've noticed is uh, it's kind of this aspect of, I guess you're in the middle of it, but you're in the eye of the storm. That's, it was, it was like the eye of the storm to explain it. So what I find is, and when I'm in the eye of the storm, everything around me is going crazy. I'm in the middle of this thing, trying to kind of keep pause and I'm okay, but I'm still a damn tornado. You know what I mean? Like I'm still in the midst of it. So when you're in the middle of that craziness and what's going on, the sucky part of it is like, I'm trying to find a way to get better. And all I know is that for me in these moments, it all sucks and it just hurts. And I don't know how to deal with it. And while I'm okay for a minute, the emotions there, it's not until later on when you're outside the tornado, you can take a look back and go, man, that thing was spinning things up and trashing houses. Yeah. So when I was a kid, in the midst of it, like I was being, I guess, you know, conditioned program, we'll call it. Like I was just this kid that was bad, man. I was a bad little kid. I'm, and I know some people are like, no little kid is bad. I was bad. Okay, shut up. Like I was a bad <laughs> little kid. I got in trouble all the time. I was kleptomaniac. I'd steal things. It was just nuts. Like all the time, my, my life was a weird tornado of stuff. And it's now as I look back on the moments of life when I finally owned up to something, which took a long time, which was I am the common denominator in all of my problems that's when things started changing. That's when life took on a whole new tick. And the crazy part is, Tori, it took me till I was like early 30s. Wow. As I would love to be able to say like, because we improve in different manners in different ways. 
but I would like to be able to say like, yeah, whenever I went from the high school player to college, it was good. And I, cause I've always been a good dad, a good guy. Right. Or when I went to the NFL, I was good. Or when I left the game and I was good, I, I was always battling that guy. And that programming takes place at a young age. It just does. Like it, it, we are inadvertently programmed by teachers, preachers, coaches, leaders, whoever's around us, television, radio, movie, whatever it is, we're always, you know, and so it, it wasn't until my early thirties, I stepped in. I was like, I don't like this guy. Yeah. Like, I don't like this dude. Genuinely, I was divorced at the time. My marriage was falling apart. I had a couple, I had three kids with my high school sweetheart and fiance and married and then divorced and like everything was falling apart. And I, I, everything, it was everybody else's fault or it was something that wasn't in my control, you know, which is the story. It's, it's everybody's story. And then going through it, I was like, damn, this is, um, man, I am the common denominator, first off. Secondly, where, where do I suck? It's a genuine question. I was like, where, where do I suck in all these situations? How do I take part in this situation of my marriage falling apart? Here's the thing a lot of people don't know. My marriage fell apart. My wife had an affair. Like, that was a big piece. And as a man, former football player, to be able to have to admit that, like, that's a, that was a heartbreaker. Even now, it's never fun. But I say, because I've said it so many times, but here's why I've said it so many times. In the process of the marriage falling apart, it was her fault. You walked, you did what you did, you stepped out. And it was, and I, that was my, my perspective in my head was her fault. Now, what it took me years to figure out was like, she didn't maliciously try and hurt me. She, I was gone trying to build this gym business from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. and try to figure out how to get the confidence of Anthony back. Again, this little kid still in there trying to find a way to get that confidence back. So I neglected my wife, my three kids. She was at home with a, a, a four-year-old and newborn twins. It's craziness, bro, I, it's craziness. And so like, I'm gone. So she was seeking someone to fulfill her needs of essentially feeling like she mattered. And I, I wasn't giving it to her, right? So these things were going on dynamically. So although I take nothing from her decision, horrible way of handling the situation, it took two people to get to the point of her even thinking she had to make a choice in the first place. These are the kind of conversations that I needed to have with myself to own up to certain aspects. But when I did, and I found out who I was, now I can start the journey of like fixing my life. People will call it healing. I think we'll, we'll call it uh, the journey to healing. I get that, healing. But why do we heal? We heal, and even the process of healing is fixing something. So for me, while I would say like I was healing, but I was genuinely going through the process of like, how do I fix my life? The action was the fixing of my life. It's how I healed things. But a lot of it, all of it stemmed from the past and my childhood and finally like owning up to where I was at, what I was doing and who I was. Man, that's like just next level self-actualization, right? Because like the first thing is humans, we just naturally want to be like, oh, well, it's not, it's not our fault. Just like your wife having an affair. It's like, oh, well, that was totally her, right? Like clear as day. But it's like, but to have like, why did she do that? You know, like what weren't you fulfilling and to, to actually stand there and be like, oh crap, like take your own responsibility and be like, how can I make these situations better? It's a, it's a level of self-actualization that a lot of people sometimes just don't even get to in their life, but it's the most freeing feeling when you actually get to that point. What was that aha moment for you when you, you got that self and let's not even say in the marriage, let's say back like in, in, you know, high school when you were sucking at football and then you're like, boom, that one girl said that word, but then yeah. you also were like, I got to take responsibility. I'm going to go be a badass at football and then end up playing in the NFL. Like, what was that for you? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's two levels to it. The first level of it is uh, the ego. I call it everyone's greatest obstacle, E-G-O. I like that. Nobody wants to admit that there's anything wrong. It's funny. People will say, I'm not perfect. But the moment you find anything that's not perfect, they battle it. 
the ego rears up because I don't want to, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to, no, I'm, I'm good. I got this. I don't need any help. Like, no, you a hundred percent need help. Now, back when I was a kid, the ego was this thing of like, I didn't want anybody to see me sweat. Right. I didn't, I didn't want to admit anything was wrong, but here's the crazy thing. All of us, if you don't give yourself permission to, you know, be poor at something, you never give yourself permission to improve. Mm. Ever. You won't do the work necessary to improve because that would mean ownership. And the ego is a massive issue that stands in a lot of people's way. And so once that takes place, the other aspect, I think, is it's all about the action. Now, the ego is one thing to admit, and a lot of people admit, but they won't take the action. And here's why the action is so important, is the action ends the suffering. Mm -hmm. I learned that years ago, a guy was like, man, action and suffering. I was like, that's so simple, yet so, so complex good. and profound. Because in the moments when you least emotionally want to do anything, I don't want to talk, I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to face anything, that is the most important moment to take an action. Because if not, it prolongs all the pain. So for me, a lot of it boils down to what is the ego? Like what, what ego part of you is not wanting to admit to give yourself the ability to see this problem and work on it? And then if you know it, you got to take action. That's the only way to end the suffering you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never heard anyone say that action and suffering. I wrote that down. That's so good. Um, and your, your biggest pain points are oftentimes your biggest superpower later in life. And I think that's, that's exactly what you're doing, right? It's like, you're, you miss this whole identity of yourself for so long. And then now you've been standing in your purpose. I don't even know how old you are, Anthony, but you said 30 years old. I know you're not that much older than me. <laughs> I just turned 30. Oh, but I'm, I'm not not that much but yes i'm a little bit older it yeah, was but I, you I'm, know, I'm obviously not i'm not 40 i'm 37 i want to just like bounce around the damn number i can just tell you how old i am 37 all right so but like people see anthony right now you know and it's like to say that you didn't hit that until you know 30 years old is crazy yeah. because i feel like a lot of people even in you know your mid-20s i remember being 25 and it was like i feel like i need to have my life figured out by now i graduated mm -hmm. college <laughs> i was juggling pageantry and it's like you feel like you need to have your life figured out um yeah. so race stupid race that we all run because everybody else is running the race and no one knows what the finish line is or the starting line is it's a dumb race <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is a dumb race um so what would you say like to people who are just kind of going through that that circle right now where they're trying to find their most authentic self because that was the one thing um when i met you just you know about a month ago it was like i picked that up right away when we were just talking that you were just super real you're super down to earth very authentic and that shines out in people um and you can tell right away when somebody's not being real so how can yeah. what would you say to people to like stand in their purpose and discover that authenticity with all the outside noise going on i don't, I don't know if you have to discover it i think you create it it's a part of it there, there's a discovery phase right to i think discovering who you are at first but then I, to be honest the way that i am able to show up is me i will say anything that comes out of my my brain and, and just comes straight out of my mouth there's a few things that filter and don't go through but the reason is because at the end of the day that's me and when i when i built the person that is me i'm proud of it think about when a kid gives you a little picture and says here's the picture and you, you're proud right so they put on the fridge and everyone wants to see it I don't think people are building proud levels of themselves. They're doing things, but they're not building the human. They're building a project, building this thing, and they are the project, they are the car, they are the house, but they don't realize that that's all just fruit of the tree. We're all trees. The fruit is the fruit of your labor. You created the fruit, right? You're not the fruit. And so what happens is for me, I created this guy. I created this tree and I put him in the world. People who enjoy him, I love that you enjoy me. Beautiful. If you don't, I don't dislike you, I don't hate you but it's okay for you to dislike me. Therefore, I don't have an apprehension to putting myself out there because I'm not gonna shut down if someone doesn't approve, doesn't appreciate, doesn't like me. 
and it gives me a certain freedom. And everybody has the ability to have this freedom to be themselves, right? But a lot of people, they're, they're so deathly afraid of a person not liking them. They don't put themselves out there. Or what they do is they put themselves out to get that person to like them and they hate themselves. It's a, va- it's, just, it's a weird back and forth. So what I found is, look, if I really want to enjoy my life, I've got to find people who love me that I love. The only way they'll know that I'm the guy is if I put myself out in a way that is so transparent that the reality is this, if somebody knows me enough to dislike me, it's the only way someone will know me enough to love me. It's the knowing of you, right? So in putting yourself out to get known to be loved, you're going to be people that don't like you. And so when you say it's the most authentic, transparent, this is Ant. Like, this is, this is me. I say dumb jokes. I, I, this is, I don't have an ability to, to hide it or think it through. It just comes flying out of my face. Yeah. But there are people who don't like me, and that's cool. Like, it's totally fine. I don't dislike them. Um, we, they, may not, they may not even hate me, we'll call it, but there may be somewhere like we're just not on the same page. That's Again, it's awesome. Totally fine. But I do know who I am. And if you don't like me, it doesn't diminish me. It's not even an anger point. It's like, I realize that. I'm a man of faith. Not everybody loved Jesus, right? So if everybody loved Jesus, why everybody love me? And it's okay. It's just humanity. So that is how I think you discover the person. You cre- you discover where you're at. You create that human being and you put the person out because the coolest thing is when you put the person out while you're afraid of the people that don't love you, 10 to 1 people love you. And then you start getting into that synergistic positive cycle of more people that like you. So you do more of the likable things and more and more. And here's the thing, people that, here's the thing, the haters. Oh, when the haters see what? an army, they don't attack. Yeah. Think about it. If I'm going up and I, I'm like, I got an opposition. Is anybody in society, <clears throat> say you're a Republican, are you going to go to a Democratic Party and, and say, I'm Republican? No, because the Democratic Party is going to beat you up. I'm just making, people know the, the red and blue, right? I'm using that as an example. Yeah. So the idea is like, when people see an army, they don't attack an army. So what you do is when you put yourself out there, you build up an army. There are less and less people who are willing to put themselves out to even attack you. So you diminish your ability to have haters that you're afraid of by putting yourself out there to let people know who you are to gain your army of people that protect and trust you. It's a weird way to look at it, but it's a genuine truth. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I've never heard somebody look at it like that too. It's always people are, um, they're like, well, if the haters don't like me, they don't like me. You know I mean? It's just, but that's a really cool way of, of framing it. So thanks for sharing that. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's true though. I, I, my brain works like this. This is all, this is all in real time thinking, by the way, Tori, I've never said it before till just today. Yeah. I love it. Hey, that's awesome. Um, all right. So three, three, your whole journey of going to, you know, from foster to, to football, to the NFL and all that, you were obviously receiving a ton of no's, right? I mean, people sometimes look and they're like, Oh, wow, that was awesome. You played in the NFL. Yeah, it is awesome. But you also heard a crap ton of no's before that. So in the face of adversity and hearing no's, and when you tried something and it failed and even now, so is, you know, in business and entrepreneurship, how do you handle those no's and use them more as like learning opportunities instead of something that'll tear you down? That's literally it. You, you, uh, well, I have a process called reframing failure, like to, to get rejections, a form of failure, right? It just is. I think there, there are people that don't perceive that there actually happens to be multiple levels of failure, however. So here's how I'll explain it. There are six tiers. There's, there's like a, a learning line also. So there's three on top, a learning line, three in the bottom. And the top three are the ones that most people, unfortunately, put a lot of situations in and don't learn from. So the first is called abject, top tier, abject. End of the world, can't be fixed, 
it's, it's, you know, somebody died, pumpkin broke. Then you have what's called structural. It's a big piece failed, but it's still going to be able to, if you try, fix it. Like, you know, the, the tire popped, structural failure. I can fix it though. It's going to be hard. You got to pull the road, put a new tire on and go. It's raining outside, right? It's, it's difficult, right? But it can be fixed. Uh, then you have what's called glorious failure. It's it's going down. It's blowing up. I'm not even going to try to save this thing. Let me watch it sit there and burn, right? What The car is rolling downhill. I can't get in it fast enough. I'm going to stop and watch it just go down the embankment. You know, like th that's just the glorious. Now, these three, they're so emotionally difficult for a lot of people. They never actually look at it. They don't, I mean, why? I don't want to deal with the relationship that fell apart. Susan was horrible. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about her. I just move on my day. But I still, there's something that happened there that I'm not aware of. My marriage fell apart. My wife had an affair. I said, yeah, this is in the world. I'm not going to deal with this, right? I'm going to walk away, right? There's a lot of things that we look at and put at the top of abject failure. But then you have what's called the learning line. Everything below the learning line becomes more of a learning lesson. And here's where you actually deal with the rejections, the oppositions, and those. So the first top of this is what's called common failure. Why the apology was created. My bad, made a mistake, I'm sorry. That's one you can learn from. To say sorry, meeting overall is like, I learned what this was. I didn't want to do it. I won't do it again. I've learned. Simple, basic. The next one's called version failure. Now, version is one of the fun ones. Version is essentially saying this version I put out into the world, this version that took place, it, I, I made it the best I could. But what I was planning on doing is putting it out to figure out what's wrong with it so I can make it better, right? Now, I think a lot of stuff's going to go good, but I know something can go bad. And when it does, it's not the end of the world. It's not abject. It just means this version didn't do very well. I can improve it. So when I have a no, somebody says, no, I don't like your program. I don't want to hire you. I don't want to buy that, whatever it is. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean no one's going to buy it. It means the version of the language you used the version of your script, the version of how you approach, the version of your clothing that day, the version of your mood in that moment, that was the wrong one for the moment. So if we say that, we get feedback, okay, great. What's iPhone 2? What's iPhone 3, right? What's Tori 4? What's Tori 5? There's different versions that we just start putting, but if we're smart about it, I go into it preemptively saying, I'm going to do the best I can, but I know something might go wrong when it does. It's just great feedback to improve it, right? Mm -hmm. The bottom one is what I love to live in. It's called expected failure. When I played sports, the big thing that I knew was every single day I was going to get yelled at every day. I expected to fail in some capacity. I didn't go out there and go, oh, I took the wrong step. Coach yelled at me. I suck at football. I'm quitting, right? No, I just, my bad coach, keep going. I expect it. So what happens when you live in a world of expect expected failure, there's a unique bubble there. And here's why. When I'm giving energy and I'm, I am identifying as the outcome, it's difficult because you're gonna, something's gonna fail, expected. Life is what happens between your plans. However, if you go into it realizing that I'm doing this and I, my effort and energy is tied to the effort, sorry, my identity is tied to the effort. That's what I want. I want who I am to be tied to, how hard do I give energy, give effort? If the outcome comes from that, beautiful, and it will. But when I do that, now what happens is I'm expecting in life for something to possibly go wrong. And when it does, hey, cool. I'm the kind of guy that fixes the problems when they pop up. That's who I am. My effort is going to go forth when most people would quit. So now when the relationship fails or the business doesn't do well, hey, cool. Hey, it's expected. Things happen. All right, let's go to work. What I learned? How do I do this? I'm in a constant flow of figuring out how to improve. These are the people that are salesmen that can get no's every day and still keep going 100%. They can get the rejection consistently, still keep going. Why? Are you masochistic? Are you crazy? No, no, no. You only feel pain because you're attached to the outcome. I feel pleasure because I'm attached to the effort. And when you do it that way, things operate vastly different from most people.
Man, that's fire. So the thing that stuck out a lot to me though, too, is just like, I'm a visual learner, right? So when you said looking at yourself as different versions, like the iPhone, right? Or as a human, like that's, it's so true. Like there's all these different versions of us, um, depending on the, the effort that we're putting in. And so that was, that was really cool. Um, just a visual, like to think of on those days, right. Where you're like, dang, I could be a little bit better than yesterday. I could be a little bit better than today. And then just keep inching your way there, um, with your identity and effort. So that was super powerful. Um, one of the things that I really want to ask now is, you know, since you've been through this training process as an athlete, and then now as an entrepreneur and a business owner, um, you know, you went through a time there where when you were in your gym business, I believe where everything crumbled, right? You lost your marriage, your, your business was struggling. Um, you became, it sounded like very, you know, suicidal, but thank yeah. God didn't, didn't get to that point. And how did you get back up when everything started? You know, we just came off a crazy year of COVID. There could be a lot of people that are, that are struggling out there. And so like, how do you, when you've lost it all, how can you just really dig it back up um, and get to the place where you are today? Yeah, well, there's what I did. There's what you should do. <laughs> and what I did was never, uh, it was never at the time as efficient as it could have been. I took years to come out of the hole, like years, like genuine. Like it's, <clears throat> I call it the fog because <clears throat> the fog is that place where you're getting up and just surviving every day. You're, you're, you're doing things, but they're in no direction. You know, it's like, I'm just making sure the bills are paid. I'm fed. I distract my brain from the pain by hanging out with people, drinking, party, whatever it is. I find ways to do stuff that genuinely doesn't really light up my life, but I'm doing it. I'm alive. I'm getting by. I'm going to the holidays. How are you doing? I'm good. Okay. But I'm not really good, you know? And what I would do and what I would recommend someone in that dark time is, is two things. Uh, maybe three. One, I would go around people that are joyful and borrow joy. A lot of people like they think they're a burden when they're in a bad mood. So they just don't go around human beings. But I've found that I did this weird uh, class in church years ago. And it was about the joy tanks that people have. And if I am devoid of joy, I got to get some from a joy tank. And I don't go take the joy, I borrow it. Because when you're around happy people, I don't care what's going on. They find ways to be like, hey, come on, man. Oh, I'm in a bad mood. Come on, bro. Yeah. Come on. All right. Let's go. And they go take in a jet ski and no one's ever been on a jet ski and not been happy. Right. You just, yeah. you find Very things true. that you can do. And you just, you find ways to be happy. And what happens is you borrow joy and being around other human beings is a great thing. But the problem is most people think I don't want to be a burden to happy people. So I'm not going to go around. No, man, I love letting people take my joy. Like not in a way of like robbing me of it, but borrowing it. I want, I have enough to give. I'm going to give you something. It's cool. Cause I'm either going to get it back from you when I need it, or you're going to give it to somebody else. It's beautiful. I actually get joy from giving you joy, right? It's a weird thing. And so there's that piece. The second piece of it is the same thing I alluded to earlier. In the moments when you emotionally feel like it's the end, I'm downtrodden, I want to go nowhere, I want to do nothing. That is the time in which you have to take an action. And it's typically the one you don't want to take. We know, I think, inherently what we should do in times. Maybe it's an apology, an ownership, whatever it is. And that's the moments in time we have to go in and figure out what is the thing I got to do right now that I don't want to do, but needs to be done. I ask the question, what will make the next moments of my life better? Mm-hmm. Not what do I want to do? What will make the next moments of my life better? That's it. Cause what you may have to do to make them better, you may not feel like doing. So for example, if my wife had had an argument or something, and I know that like that it was my fault, Well, my ego doesn't want to pop up and admit it. Right. But I know that making the next moments of my life better will be, admitting my fault in this situation. So I got to sit back and go, oh, I don't want to do it, but I know what'll make the next moments better. It's me admitting the fault. All right. Hey, love, I messed up. Sorry. 
right? Those little things. And most people go like, ah, that's, that's small. It's not. You're going to find that it's open many different ways for your business. Like, uh, it may be like, hey, what will make the next moments of your life better is like the business making more money, which means you might have to fire somebody. Different conversations. Have hard conversations. Um, you may have to stop eating crappy food so you can make the next moments of your life healthier and better, right? There's things that we don't want to do, but we know if we think about what that is and do that, that changes your life. It quite literally is all it is. It, I think people make it so convoluted because they get in the way. We are the convoluted issues. We are the confusing factors. But if we can just think consciously, what's the thing, and then get the convolution out of the way ourselves, we can go so much smoother in most directions. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. And so off camera here, we were just talking about how your son was just at um, Oregon, right? Playing or not playing, but he was right. running uh, for the national. You, you can describe what all that is, but like you, what yeah. I thought was really cool was that you were telling me how you just helped him create this whole like 16 week plan. And yeah. essentially you're training him for championships, right? I mean, at the end of the day, whether it's championship in your mind, your body or experiences, you're training for championships. And so as a business owner now, how are you, training for championships. I mean, you're speaking on, you know, massive stages. Now you're impacting a ton of people through your programs. Um, how do you daily just train for championships? Ah, you know, the, the work was done a year, a year ago. The yeah. thing with my son is, so he went up against some of these athletes and he runs a one ten hurdles. And when he does this, the thing is, it's like, interesting. It's like these kids beat him and you know, he's, he's got some things to figure out. And here's what I told him. I said, that kid that just won state meet, for example, my wife went and looked on his page and like, she just, cause she's Snoopy. And she's like, this kid was lifting a month ago, heavy weights. He was still getting down training. And my son didn't really lift heavy in the off season. He kind of did. We, we did some, but he wasn't really dialed in. And then in season, he just killed it. He just, I'm doing track, no strength training, no maintenance, right? He didn't want to do it. And so when we watched that video, I said, listen, you just lost that race, but he won the race. He won that race a year ago. Hmm. That's it. He won the race before you even put track spikes on a year ago of the way that he progressed in the momentum that he built into this moment it's not an accident he's faster than you it's not there's that no one gets that kind of success on accident dude and you can't do it the week of you can't do it the month before it takes time and so for him it's like yeah i want him to be a champion and he finally wants to which is great to see his brain his mind dialing in because he i think he's tired of that taste in his mouth we'll call it and so in that aspect like i'm, I'm telling him like it's a matter of time so i spent a good yeah, eight hours plus designing an entire top to bottom program. I used to do it in my gym when I owned it. But like, I'm talking to the science, the periodization, the structural, like we're, we're doing a whole, we're actually following a powerlifting structure by a guy that does juggernaut training, um, Chad Wesley Smith, just an amazing brain for this stuff. And he dials it in for athletes. So I went and consumed, took hours to consume and hours to create it. But that being said, it now is a dialed in plan. All he has to do is the work and he has to show up every day and do the work. And if you show up every day and in those hours, do the work is a big thing. If you have like say 30 hours of training this, this month, which makes some number up, which it probably will be about 30 hours of training. It's not just showing up to the 30 hours. It's showing up and how you show up in those 30 hours. If I show up and get by minimal weights, don't push the sets, I don't get stronger. So I don't win the race a year from now. But if he shows up every day from day one and pushes and does the weight and grinds and builds, when it comes time later on, He's not just strong, but he's mean. There's a mental drive that kicks in. There's an identity that has been built over time. So you ask, how do I do what I do now? I was in the dark doing the work years ago. I've been, I've been at this for a long time. 
And I do the work in silent, but I'm lifting the weights of life. And I'm doing the work that, that most people will run from. And I'm not doing it to say, hey, look what I did. I'm doing it so that when I go and apply myself to something, you can see what I accomplish. So when you ask, how do I do it? How did it take place? It was, it's pretty simple. It's just, I did this work starting a year ago and anybody can start now. Like this is when you do it, you start now. And when you start now, when you build now, that's when things come to fruition in cool ways. So man, for a lot of people, like that's the perspective I wanna give them is like, I do what I do now simply because a year ago I was building up. So I don't worry about imposter syndrome. I don't worry about uh, a lack of desire, like to do something. Cause I've, I've done too much in the dark for anyone to take what I believe is mine in the light. And here's the unique piece of how anybody can understand this. We as humans fight for what we believe we deserve, period. I believe I deserve up here because I've worked for this stuff. Now there's stuff above what I've worked for and I'm aware of that. I as a human don't wanna go and shoot for things that I don't believe I deserve because then I'm gonna believe someone's gonna poke a hole. So I don't wanna be outed. So I, I go for what I believe I deserve. It's pretty high in my mind, but there are levels above where I believe I deserve. I don't, I don't believe I deserve to have a billion dollar company. You know what I mean? It'd be weird to go and say, I, I, I deserve a billion dollar company. Truck, <laughs> shut up, bro. You know, be stupid. But there's certain things I accomplish. Now, here's a funny thing, not funny, but sad, is people will fight for what they believe they deserve, even if it's down here. And that's the unique thing is we'll do it subconsciously. This is the imposter syndrome. This is not feeling confident about my, my offer. This is not making the phone calls. This is not reaching out when I need help. This is, this is me making great excuses to be a perfectionist. It's not ready. I got to get it dialed in. That just means that you in the background, no matter how you want to frame it, you just didn't do the level of work that you know you could have to believe you deserve up here. So my son, when he gets that track a year from now, he's going to step on the track and he's going to be standing next to guys. And in his heart, inherently will be this thing of, I deserve to win this race. When I believe I deserve something, I'll fight for what I believe I deserve. If not, I'll kick hurdles. I'll slow down, whatever it is. We will we'll do that. We will self-sabotage ourselves. We'll make excuses. But that's how I do what I do now is because I did the work a long time ago. Yeah, that's such a good way of framing it. That's exactly, you know, just as you're describing that, we were kind of talking to at the boot camp where it's similar, you know, similar to pageantry too, where it was like for years, it was like doing the work, doing the work. And it was like, yeah, it took me eight years before I won, but it was all the behind the scenes. And then by the time I got there, I was like, I'm here to pick up the crown and sash. It's the same yeah. thing with your son, right? It's he's, yeah. he's just going to be there to pick up the championship. I don't know what they give away, <laughs> what it is that he gets there, but, but that's, you know, you go in there, you're conditioning your mindset. Um, and I love, I love how you, you explain that process too. So, and lastly here, I just want to talk about getting in the zone. Um, yeah. tell us your framework around getting in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the work I do is an identity. And a lot of people go, what, what is that? It's, it's like this philosophical, you know, outside the box. It's really not. But it's, it's kind of like I ache in it to that moment when, like, people are living in the zone. Like, mm -hmm. there are certain people you look at, like, they had the Midas touch. Everything they touch, it turns to gold. People go, how in the world do you always do everything so well? It's not rocket science. They just, they're in the zone. And the zone is actually, it's a version of your identity that feels impenetrable, invincible. you got flow. You're in operation. Everything just seems to tick at a good pace. That is a reality for a lot of people. And that's a version of your identity. Now, for some reason, people fall out of it, right? There's a lot of reasons. We There's a whole process I'm not going to go deep into. But there are components of your zone identity. And when you're in the zone, things happen the way that you want. 
you make the money, you make, you get in good shape, you win the pageants. It's like my training's on point, my conditions on point, my practice is on point. I'm, I'm practicing my, my speeches and my talks. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling. Right. And people can come and poke me, but like, I feel good. still. I'm just, like, I'm in a zone. Somehow or another, we fall off track and we don't know how to get back into the zone. So the work that I do, as much as it's about like uh, identity, it's really about how do I get you into the zone through actions so that not only do you accomplish things on the path to that zone, but when you get into the zone, things just seem to happen like second nature successfully for you. So you now are, are operating at the level of like I desire and deserve up here. That's the work I do. And so the, the steps you go through simplistically, you have to find your zone lags. I think a lot of people don't realize that you individually have unique things that are only specific to you and your zone lags. There's somewhere that you're lagging. And if you can pick it up, you can get your zone back firing on all cylinders. But you got to find your zone lags. Once you know what they are, you have to have a personalized shift plan, a plan that allows you to really get clear on like, all right, this is my my personal way of doing things. This is how it's unique to me. Because if I go and try to do the things that, that you're doing, but I don't need to work on them. I'll find myself burned out, broken and broke with no progress, right? But if I do what's necessary to me, I drop my ego and did the work. Now I make the progress. And the last part is what's called a discipline system. And the discipline system is one that a lot of people don't install. They do the actions, but they don't install a disgusting level of discipline in their life. So if they do have success, it's very short-lived or it's a new cycle or it's just this weird perspective of like how they, they get success, but they aren't satisfied with it, right? Because they don't have a process in place to, to even be disciplined at being okay with this. You know, like I set my level here, this is good. That's so weird how people think. And so that's the structure of what most people don't have in place. That's essentially what I do. And the method's called the shift method. There's three stages that follow that order so when people do the work and they come out, like they are in the zone, living in the zone, not once or twice in a, on a Tuesday when I got my cup of tea and I'm in a good mood because the day was great. But anytime I want to, I'm there. And if I snap out of it, how to get snapped back into it, all those little moments. But that is where the best humans I know live. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for coming on today. This is incredible, incredible. I'm going to go back and listen to it. I'm like taking notes as you're talking right now. But where can people find you, get your programs, your books, hire you as a speaker yeah. on their stages, all the things? All the good stuff. Well, the best place to find me is uh, on Instagram, at Anthony Trucks. That's where I, I spend the majority of my time on social media. And then if you guys want, uh, I have a book come out August 24th. I don't know when this is going to air, but August 24th, it's the book called Identity Shift. It actually breaks down what I just talked about, the shift method, how to apply it. It's, it's like a, it's a book that is part concept, but also the second part is application. How do I apply these concepts in real life and real time to measure my life, to be able to make this shift happen like I talk about? And it's, it's a great book for that, honestly. It's what it's designed for. It's a simplistic one. It's not over your head. It wasn't designed for scientists to read. Uh, and if people want to, you go to identityshiftbook.com. Just how it sounds, identityshiftbook.com. And then go through the process. You go by the book, you come back with your code and receipt, and then you plug it into the next page. And if you use this code, special for you guys, I as in Igloo, T as in Tom, B as in Bear, I-T-B, you'll get the audio book, you'll get the digital book, you'll also get the workbook that segments my most like what I think to be the most beneficial uh, modules in my coaching programs all into a workbook so you can work yourself through this. And, uh, and then also what I'll do just as an extra, why not? I'm gonna do this. So for the first 10 people that use that code, I'll actually sign and autograph a second book and send it to you. So Look at that. You get, you get a cool little thing. That's awesome. All right. Is it IBT or ITB? ITB? It's breaking it, time. It, oh, 
Oh, it's break. The, you, you, you got, you got me. It, it don't. Hey, I just want to make I sure it'll be, it'll be easier. I don't know why I said ITB. You know what? Iliotibial band. That's what I was thinking. IT. Yeah. Anyway, so it's IBT, like irritable bowel Tory. But I is a igloo. B is in bear. T as in Tom. That's what it is. I B T. It's breakthrough time. You got it. Awesome. Thank well, thanks. <laughs> thanks so much, Anthony. It was awesome talking to you today. And hey, thanks for doing that too for my my listeners. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, Very welcome. Appreciate you and hope to see you soon. I know you got to jump on Clubhouse and I think I'm going to see you there. You will. I hope you do. Come hang out with me. All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right, my friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode on It's Breakthrough Time. Tell some people about this episode. Share some positivity and love. Take a screenshot, tag your friends, share on social, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I want to leave you with one last thought for today. God did not give you another day because you needed it. He gave you another day because someone needs you. So go spread that light. Go spread your love. And until next time, be unstoppable.